Welcome to the Payoff Podcast. My name is Will Foley. Matt Press here. Uh, Matt Sabry. It's Will and the Mats. And <laughs> we are your 2022-23 IDS women's basketball reporters. And we're here to talk some Hoosier hoops. Yeah. It's uh, it's halfway through the season at this point, uh, but back from you know the holiday break, and the team's coming into the final stretch. So yeah, that's right. And we're looking at a team that's fourteen and one right now, ranked sixth in the country. And uh, looking ahead, the next matchup we have is at Assembly Hall, number nine, Maryland. But before we talk about that, we can catch up on what we've missed. So recently. Most recently, we have gotten into our conference slate here. 9-0 and currently at home as we head into tomorrow's home matchup with Maryland, number six in the country. As we said, a little bit of a different starting lineup now. Yeah. Um, uh, they've obviously started, don't know if it's obvious, but they started the season uh, with, uh, obviously, Jorn Garzon coming in as a new freshman uh, and then Brought back Grace Berger and Mackenzie Holmes, but totally new starting five aside from that. Started with uh, originally with a uh, starting lineup in the first game of Holmes, Berger, uh, Yarden Garzone, Sydney Parrish, and oh, or, oh Sydney yeah. Parrish was the first off the bench. It was Sarah Scalia, and um, I'm blanking right now. Scalia, Berger, Chloe Moore McNeil. Chloe Moore McNeil <laughs> into the starting lineup after I was trying to think of a freshman or a newcomer. Into the starting lineup for the first time this season after coming off the bench as a six man last year. And then now at this point in the season, uh Sarah Scalia uh is no longer. She's now kind of taken that sixth person role off the bench uh in favor of Sydney Parrish in the starting lineup. Uh yeah, and just at the start of the season. Uh, Indiana came out uh, beating down some lesser opponents. They crushed Vermont. They crushed UMass Lowell. And then they <laughs> traveled to Knoxville, and it was a huge test at the time. Uh, they w- had started top five, and then they had lost to uh, in-conference opponent Ohio State of Indiana's. And uh, nonetheless, it was still a big opponent for IU, and they walked in to Thompson Bowling Arena with a double-digit win. And they just looked good from the start to finish, and they never really relented in that in that win. And so that was the first litmus test of this Indiana team, and they passed that one with flying colors. Yeah, that kind of felt like the turning point, if it, there could be one that early into the season. But great time in Knoxville. Heard Rocky Top many times. Yes, <laughs> yes. Great time. <laughs> and then, yeah, moving on, a couple more beatdowns of Bowling Green and Quinnipiac. And then... We headed into the Las Vegas Invitational, which had many yeah, storylines. What a fiasco. The, what a fiasco. So the Las Vegas Invitational played in the Mirage Ballroom. Uh, if you didn't see, it was literally just a ballroom with no stands or bleachers or anything of that sort with makeshift uh, locker rooms and the whole like. Um, not a super well-regarded event uh, at, at all. Um, but... The Hoosiers did come away 2-0 from it with wins over Auburn and Memphis. However, Grace Berger did suffer an injury in about 90 seconds into that Auburn game. 
uh, right knee injury that uh, kept her out from the late November to just this last weekend. And following that, um, before they even left, they had drawn national attention uh, between the ballroom, the conditions, and then in a game prior to Indiana and Memphis when Auburn was playing someone else who I can't remember, an injured player was down for about 45 minutes. Ambulance took their sweet time to come get them. They did not have first responders like on hand. And Terry Moore made some comments that uh, just reached the national scale on ESPN, and she was not very pleased with how that organization went and just drew more attention for Indiana. And then they came home to face a top 10 North Carolina team without Grace Berger, and then they just beat the brakes off them. They were shooting lights out that entire game. It really was never a doubt. And once again, Indiana had proved itself that they were one of the top teams in the country. Yeah, I don't think you can really overstate. They killed UNC in that game. I mean, and that was kind of the Sydney Parish coming out party, if you will, in her first game in the starting lineup with Grace out 20 24 points, 4 of 7 from deep. Mackenzie Holmes was doing her thing in that game, as she has all season. And, yeah, so that was kind of after UNC. That was the next moment we kind of knew they were for real on the national stage. And then started to get into some conference games. Yeah, so the first conference game was against Illinois, who I think, I mean, that was Illinois' first uh, Big Ten game as well. And I think most people, myself included, thought that would kind of just be a blowout like it has been historically. Illinois women's basketball has historically not been uh, very good at all. Um, last season, I know they played on Wednesday in the Big Ten tournament, so one of the bottom four seeds. Uh, however, this season, uh, at this point, right now, they're ranked for the first time since the year 2000. So the game against IU, IU did pull it out, but only by four points, 65 to 61. Um, obviously no Grace Berger, but still, I think that was a lot closer than everyone else, or than everyone was uh, predicting. Um, of course, uh, Mackenzie Holmes led the way, though, for that one, and IU still got the win. And then uh, headed to Penn State and got... Uh, win against them as well to move to 2-0 in the early season for the Big Ten. Yeah, that Penn State game was a little concerning, especially at the beginning. Uh, Penn State came out with the full court press, and it really rattled the Hoosiers. That was the, probably the first game, although Illinois was a close contested game, the Penn State game was the first real appearance where Grace Berger's absence kind of shown because some of those uh, unforced errors and just sloppy play in general would not have been the case with a healthy Grace Berger on the floor. And nonetheless, IU won, continued to be undefeated. Uh, right before the holidays, had some easy wins over Moorhead State. They got the third biggest margin of victory in school history. 60, 63, 63, yeah, 63 points. points, 87 to 24. They beat Butler handily. And then uh, right after Christmas, they headed out to East Lansing. And if you don't know what happened then, that would be the Hoosiers' first loss of the season to Michigan State was, now that we look back on it, maybe a little fluky, you know, those things, these kind of losses happen in the Big Ten. But just poor shooting, which we'll get to later, poor shooting from outside. And, I mean, when you look at the box score, it honestly kind of favored Indiana a little bit in terms of they had some turnover problems. But, you know, in those tough Big Ten games, you never know what's going to happen on the road in East Lansing there. So that was their first loss of the season. 
and then came back to Bloomington, tight one with Nebraska that went to overtime. Yeah, little uh, New Year's Day matchup against uh, Nebraska, and um, yeah, that one, uh, the the Hoosiers' first, I mean, obviously it's their only overtime game so far this season, uh, so kind of, we've seen them a bit in crunch time this season, but that was that was the most crunch time we've seen them in, I guess, by uh, quantity this season. Um, again, no surprise, though, uh, Mackenzie Holmes uh, kind of, you know, led the team in scoring, uh, <clears throat> as she tends to do. Um, particularly in that game, IU was terrible shooting from outside. They got... Uh, they ran away with it. They had a few threes there in overtime, um, and uh, won the overtime period twelve to zero. But in general, they shot four of sixteen overall in uh, in the game. Um, two of those came in overtime. So coming into the overtime period, they had been two of uh, fourteen, um, and still pulled out the win. But again, we've uh, kind of hinted at that bad shooting already and it's it's come back a couple times yeah and it continued again against northwestern and it was funny because you wouldn't think that when you see the box score and you see that indiana won by 22 points but that's kind of the state of northwestern women's basketball right now because indiana handled them easily despite poor shooting um yeah it's really an interesting develop the past two games uh combined indiana's 18% from the free throw line. Uh, yeah, 7 to 38. And they shot under 40% from the field both games, yet were able to come out with wins. And looking ahead to tomorrow, it's Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. <laughs> <laughs> looking ahead to tomorrow, uh, you can't afford shooting 18% from three and under 40% from the field. Uh, against the number nine team in the country. Yeah, even with Grace Berger back. I mean, that was, I think that's part of what helped them uh, overcome that against Northwestern. Obviously, that was the first game Grace Berger's back. Nobody had any, any idea she was returning until uh, the women's basketball team posted the starting lineup on Twitter and just nonchalantly included uh, Grace Berger in there. Um, in that game, Berger, or in the last game here, Berger, uh, 16 points, 5 assists, a couple of steals, and a rebound, but did shoot 5 of 12 from the field. Uh, Terry Morin said post-game and then said uh, uh, this morning ahead of the matchup on Wednesday, or ahead of the matchup Thursday, uh, she said that she expects Grace will kind of regain her shooting form a bit. Um, obviously, we didn't see Grace shoot any uh, threes on uh, against Northwestern, but she's done that a bit this season, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how she brings that back. But yeah, and Terry Morin has kind of always this season talked about the streakiness of the shooting. Now that they've kind of embraced uh, Scalia and Parrish and Chloe Moore McNeil shooting from deep, that it's not going to fall every night, and it's been kind of more than not every night as of late. But as we know, it's those little things that. They do so well rebounding, chasing loose balls, getting steals, that kind of remedy that. And anytime you can shoot three of 22 from deep and win by 22 points, something they're doing something right. I yeah, think. and defense continues to win them yeah. games. They're they're number one in the in the conference in terms of 
lowest amount allowed. That's uh, Terry Moore and Staple. Yep. And they just continue <laughs> to do that, and they're going to need good defense again against number nine Maryland. Uh, Terrapins thirteen and three, obviously ninth in the country. Uh, they lost to number one South Carolina. Had some questionable other losses. Lost to DePaul by nine in Florida at a neutral site, and then they lost at home to Nebraska by twenty three. Yeah, definitely, and you combine that with wins over UConn and Notre Dame. It's a weird season. It's a real weird season for Maryland. Um, they, going back a little bit, looking at their team last year, obviously their team last year was very good, was a four-seed in the NCAA tournament, um, was also a four-seed in the Big Ten tournament because the Big Ten was really dang good last year. Uh, did lose, however, to the Hoosiers in the Big Ten tournament. Um, that was IU's second-ever win over Maryland. They got their first-ever win over Maryland last January. Uh, so IU overall went 2-1 and one against Maryland last year. Those were their first two-ever wins against Maryland. Um, however, this Maryland team and last year's Maryland team are not the same teams at all. Uh, they lost five of their last six – or five of their top scorers from last season, including Ashley Reese uh, – or Angel Reese, Ashley Wusu, and Chloe Bibby. Uh, but they did return Diamond Miller, who this season leads the team in points, rebounds, blocks, steals, and is tied for second on the team in assists. She's fourth in the Big Ten in points per game, uh, gets the line as much as, or more than anybody in the Big Ten except for Caitlin Clark and shoots 83% when she's there. She can score uh, flat out. That'll be IU's biggest thing coming into this game is slowing down Diamond Miller. Yeah, she's a guard with size. Uh, she's pretty similar in her frame, at least, to Jargon Garzon. But you'd have to think that Chloe Moore McNeil, I would say, gets the defensive matchup to start the game. Uh, Chloe Moore McNeil has proven to kind of be Coach or Terry Moran's go-to in terms of drawing the toughest defensive assignment. But, yeah, it's not just Diamond Miller, though. I mean, they've put together some – it's almost like they're getting role players to just elevate their play completely as like a team. And like you said, they're, it's a weird season, but they're stringing out these wins. And as of right now, six game win streak is the second largest in the big 10 besides undefeated Ohio state. So sure. Yeah. As you said, they, uh, they made up that scoring this year, Abby Myers and their transfer from Princeton who Indiana had some experience with last year. She's averaging 14 and a half this year got Cheyenne Sellers, who is one of the few returners, also averaging just under 15 points, both pretty efficient scorers. It's it's not an easy defensive task by any mean from no, a team perspective. Not at all. And, I mean, even if the, Maryland didn't have, you know, Diamond Miller and uh, Cheyenne Sellers and, and uh, Abby Myers, any Brenda Freeze team is going to be tough. She has been, I mean, she's been at Maryland for, I think, 20 years now. And, and they have, obviously, I mean, they're Maryland women's basketball. They're very, very, very good. They're, they're one of the top programs in the country. No game against them, no matter how good they are, is going to be easy. And they do happen to be very good this year. Yeah, and, I mean, this game could range anything from the game scoring in the 60s to the 80s. I mean, we've seen Indiana's offensive capabilities. Uh, even when they've been struggling from the perimeter, uh, I mean, they scored 74 in overtime against Nebraska, and then they scored 72 against Northwestern. That's on 
shooting from the three-point line and under 40% from the field. So if the Hoosiers can hit their shots, this could be a shootout that we see. And talking about, you know, kind of implications of this game, it's still, you know, it's early mid-January. This doesn't, you know, decide the season. And certainly the Hoosiers have proven themselves beating UNC, Tennessee. But I just, I don't know, I kind of feel like this is a big one in the sense of that the Big Ten, you're looking at Iowa, Ohio State's right up there with South Carolina and UConn right now. It's just a ridiculously loaded conference. And beating a team like Maryland, I think, while Indiana's already kind of in that upper echelon of teams, it feels like right now, it kind of propels you into those games against Iowa and Ohio State, and you're feeling really good about them. Yeah, and um, yeah, and it, especially, I mean, you talked about how the Big Ten is such a tough conference. We saw last season, at the very end of last season, that because the teams were all within a game of each other, the top five teams in the conference, the seeding was all tiebreakers and whatnot. So this is IU's only game against Maryland this season. If IU gets this win, they have the tiebreaker over them, which, uh, who knows, uh, it's far in the future. But that could end up being the difference between, you know, playing on Thursday, starting your conference tournament on Thursday versus starting your conference tournament on Friday. I mean, it could be the difference between a whole day of rest come March. So uh, not only in the short term, but also just the long term. Uh, this is, I, I agree with you guys, this is a, it's an important game. <laughs> I think it's especially important just because uh, like Matt, well, Matt Press, <laughs> like Matt Press like mentioned one of earlier, the Matt they are 9-0 and at home and this is a home game and like other Matt said, it's the only time you play Maryland this year, so you really want to capitalize on a home game against a top 10 opponent. Mm-hmm. Got to take care of business at home, as always. Well, speaking of which, they also stay uh, home. at home uh, through this weekend, play Wisconsin on Sunday. Uh, Wisconsin, not quite a top 10 team in the country. Um, maybe not a top 10 team in the Big Ten. Um, it's been a rough start for, uh, Wisconsin so far. Yeah, uh, Wisconsin has dropped just some ugly games, and they do have a conference win. They recently beat Minnesota, which is also in the bottom tier of the Big Ten, so nothing too much to brag about, but it could... It could potentially be kind of like a sneaky game just because you're following up a close emotional matchup against a top 10 team, but I don't really see that happening with Wisconsin. Yeah, it just kind of feels like a trap game. Looking up and down Wisconsin's schedule this year, it's they're getting beat pretty bad in, in some <laughs> games that you would not expect them, expect really any Big Ten team to get beaten this bad by. But, you know... I guess anything can happen. It's the Big Ten. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. So we'll see on that one. I can't say I've cracked the film on Wisconsin, so I can't speak too much. Yeah. I can't speak too much about them. I mean, Wisconsin, the thing with Wisconsin is they've got five different players. All five of their starters average double-digit points. Uh, no one on else on the team averages six points. Um, and no one on the team in general averages over 14 so there, it's really anyone can score on you, but it, no one on Wisconsin really has the ability to take over a game. And, um, yeah, I think 
I use defenses up for the the task of shutting them down. Um, I, I, yeah, I think we're all in pretty much agreement on how that one might go. Yeah, uh, just I mean, you look at some of their losses. I mean, and they have their power five losses sprinkled in there, obviously, but you know, a loss to Illinois State. Shout out Redbirds. <laughs> Bloomington normal native right here. <laughs> Lost to Illinois State and were held to 57 points. Lost to Green Bay, so they're not even the best team in the state of Wisconsin. That's that's pretty rough. And, and uh, a loss to Georgia. Some of, Go Dogs. <laughs> and some of the mutual opponents, uh, they lost to Nebraska by nearly 30. They lost by 16 to Illinois. So, yeah, uh, most of the attention should be focused on the Maryland game. Yeah. And um, we haven't really talked about, though, uh, just some overall themes that we've seen from this Indiana season. So to start, I'll start off, is everyone knows how good Mackenzie Holmes is, but how many can really say that she would make a first-team All-American push like she is right now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been ridiculous. You can't say enough about her. Nearly averaging a double-double, just so dominant. A double-double in each of her last three games, yeah, too. Yeah, each of the last three double doubles and it's just it doesn't matter sending doubles she gets triple team sometimes and even when she doesn't kick it out in those triple teams she can still take take them over and put the ball up and then on defense just as stout as ever she's blocking like crazy and no one really has their way with her on the other end yeah, I mean, you talked about how when teams are kind of crashing down to her bringing double and triple teams she's kicking it out and Something this season, I mean, as we've seen all season, that she's able to do that more because, the t- I mean, she's surrounded by more shooters. It's that simple. Uh, Sydney Parrish, Yarden Garzone, um, Sarah Scalia, uh, even Chloe Moore McNeil sh- letting it fly from deep at times. Um, it just, when you're able to spread the court like that, you give Mackenzie Holmes even more space to work than she has at any point in her career. And, I mean, yeah, it's it's... She has just been absolutely dominating teams, regardless of, uh, regardless of, you know, what they do to try to stop her. Um, yeah, it's it's. It it is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Holmes, she, is... she already has more assists this season than she did all of last season. Oh. So, um, and we're at the halfway point. So. Yeah, she's doing it in every facet of the game. Yeah, she's second in the country in field goal percentage, 68.4. And the per, uh, player who's first place has 78 less attempts than McComsey Holmes also. So something to keep note of. And another thing is we talked about how Indiana spread the floor and allowed her to dish it out. You now add mid-range assassin Grace Berger, and that just even makes Indiana sm- – more that much more of a threat i mean this this team is just loaded with talent it's it's honestly crazy um moving on though another one that no one expected even more so is the great yardini yardin garzon is just such a talent as a freshman second in the big 10 in three-point percentage just about 47 percent from beyond the arc she is really letting it fly you, I mean, we see a willingness for those shots every single game. As a freshman, to not be shy from those shots on a team like this is really impressive. But I think the playmaking that she's displayed is something that's probably more impressive than the shooting. A guard at 6'3", true freshman, 
She's making great passes, kind of really flashy plays, game in and game out. And that's just been a great addition as a freshman on a team that was kind of full of newcomers this season. Yeah. Uh, Terry Morin and Yarden's teammates have all said she does not play like a freshman. And it's obvious watching even five minutes of her out there on the court. She does not play like a freshman. And she's, I mean, she is a freshman. But she's not in so many senses. I mean, she played professionally in Israel uh, for multiple seasons playing against, you know, adults, <laughs> professionals. Um, so, it, yeah, just the way she sees the court is um, – it's very obvious how she's, you know, a step ahead of where most freshmen are. And uh, obviously the shooting has been light out. The one thing I will say, the only thing she struggled with really has been uh, foul trouble. Mm-hmm. She's fouled out of a few games now. I don't know exactly what she the number is. Fouled out against Northwestern. Fouled out against Northwestern, um, even though that was a 20-point blowout. So uh, it's, especially as a guard, I know she's a big guard and usually guards above her position, but especially as a guard, you can't get in foul trouble like that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, she's a freshman, but it'll be interesting to see if she can uh, kind of rein that in um, and pay, play more sound defense without fouling uh, later into the season. Yeah, I can't tell if it's just a – if she isn't as quick on the perimeter because of her size or if it's just a matchup thing, but that is one thing she struggled with. She also has had a little bit of a learning curve. Uh, I mean, she was just thrown into a dual lead ball handler position alongside Chloe Morton-Neal once Grace Berger went down – and she struggled, like, in the Penn State game. But other than that, I mean, she's been terrific. Her size on offense helps her, I think, against Nebraska. She looked like Dirk Nowitzki. She would back her opponent down and just hit these fadeaways in, from the post. And she's just such a talented player. And if Indiana can hang on her for the next couple of years, she'll she'll be a special talent across the country. Yeah, she she leads the – or she's – pardon me. She's second on the team behind Chloe Moore-McNeil in assists this season uh, total, not average, because Grace obviously missed a fair bit of time. But um, just kind of talking about that with the lead ball handler stuff, um, after the last game, uh, Terry Morin talked about that a bit, and she talked about how, you know, at this point, because so many different players, or at least three different players, have experience handling the ball for this team now, uh, Terry Morin doesn't see it as like one is a point guard versus the others are not, and the others are more of a two-guard or a three-guard or a wing or whatever. Um, it, Terry Morin just sees that as an asset. Anyone can hand the ball, handle the ball. Anyone can bring the ball up, and I think that uh, makes a lot of sense. I think we could see that later into this season, just how they're able to do different sets with different players and whatnot. Yeah, lastly, we can just finish this up. Uh, I think the other most notable thing has been depth. Talking about Indiana, uh, Terry Morin and her teams have historically pretty much been six deep down the stretch. It's kind of grinded out, and I hope your players don't get hurt so they can really go the distance. And even with Grace Berger's injury, we've seen a lot of people step up. Uh, you can talk about Sydney Parrish slash now Sarah Scalia as the sixth man, providing a ton of effort and intensity. Uh, you have Lexus Bargeser, who's continued to get minutes off the bench as a guard. And then and Terry talked Terry Morin talked about her uh, stepping into lead ball handling skills as well. Um, and she's only a freshman, so yeah. yeah. And then you have uh, 
not a ton of minutes, but Alyssa Geary can help step in, and if Mackenzie Holmes, whatever, needs needs a break, foul trouble, she can step in. She provides post presence. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but Keandra Brown actually returned against Northwestern for the first time this season. She's been absent with a thumb injury for the entirety of the season, but she's back, and that's kind of the easy backup role at the five to Holmes when she subs in. And from what we saw in that game against Northwestern, I mean, she's known for her defense, and it didn't look like she's really missed a step in the last months that she's been out. Really active. She had a steal within maybe a minute of her coming onto the floor. So I think that's another piece that's going to be really useful heading down the stretch. Yeah, just adding to that depth, like you said. Um, and then, you know, got uh, like Mona Zarich has played some minutes. Uh, Henna Sandvik uh, was actually the first player off the bench a couple times when Grace Berger was out. Um, yeah, just general. They're getting, like the both of you said, they're getting contributions from up and down the roster. All right, let's go around the horn. I'm going to predict against Maryland, Indiana, 78, Maryland, 74. And then against Wisconsin, I'll say Indiana, 82, Wisconsin, 58. So you're, you're going for the sweep. Sweep. That's your sweep prediction? Sweep in Bloomington. All right. I'm also going to go for a sweep against Maryland. I'll go a little lower scoring than that. I'm going to have Indiana, 68, Maryland, 62. And then Wisconsin, I mean, that, that could be anywhere from a <laughs> – overtime win to a 30-point route. So I'll just chalk that as a win. Yeah, um, I'm not going to give scores. I, I have no clue what the scores of these games are going to be. However, I think Maryland could knock off IU. I mean, this is a talented Maryland team. They've gone toe-to-toe with everybody. Um, obviously, I mean, they've had some kind of weird losses, but uh, I, I think I'm going to go with uh, Maryland to pull off the upset. Uh, in Bloomington and stay, uh, or I guess take over as the number two team in the conference in the standings. Um, and then Wisconsin, I think it'll be a a route, I'll be honest. Uh, I think IU handles that one easily, especially if they're coming off a loss. There you have it. There's the first episode of 2023 for the Payoff Podcast. Signing out.